Words from Psalm 27. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. O Lord, do not give me up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. The Lord said to Abram, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmusites, and etc., etc. Genesis 15, 18 to 21. Some Pharisees said to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox for me, listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. So the composer of Psalm 27 expects trouble. He has enemies. He trusts in God. Is that why he has enemies? God makes a big promise to Abram. His descendants will have a land of their own, then they'll multiply and fill the earth and maybe even the universe. One problem. The land they're promised belongs to other people. And when the descendants make it to the promised land, they claim the promise by waging war, visiting terror on people who have lived there longer, much longer than the brief time Abram and his family camped there. Pharisees, no friends to Jesus in general, no friends to Herod either, but some come and warn Jesus of trouble, of danger ahead, now, Jesus already knows what's coming. He sends a message back to Herod that is a deliberate insult, a provocation. And then he marches toward Jerusalem and into the cauldron of conflict. And we know where those words and Jesus' resolve lead him and the world. Should people of faith expect opposition? even violence against them? Should people of faith employ violence in service of what they conclude is God's purpose? It is entirely possible to read scripture, the Bible, the Quran, the holy histories of Hinduism, for example, read any of them and conclude that the answer to both of those questions is yes. As Barbara Brown Taylor says, human beings never behave more badly toward one another than when they believe they are protecting God. Protecting God or whatever God they have constructed, like the supremacy of the white and English-speaking and Christian over all other people. So two congregations of Muslims go to prayer in Christ Church, New Zealand. Soon 50 are dead, 40 more wounded. One of them died just in the last 12 hours. 
One man who survived says he prayed to Allah that the shooter would run out of bullets. He did at one point, but he had more guns and bullets in his car. And here's how the CNN sums up his 87-page justification for murder and the intent to strike in as many other places as possible. He talks a lot about the idea of invasion, that Muslim migrants are invading white Western countries. He talks about the birth rate, the idea of replacement, that white culture is being replaced. So peaceful people at prayer are necessary casualties in a holy war. And one statement in that manifesto praised Donald Trump as, quote, a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose, end quote. And last week, the President of the United States said, I can tell you I have the support of the police, the support of the military, the support of the bikers for Trump. I have the tough people. But they don't play it tough until they go to a certain point, and then it would be bad, very bad, very bad. Very bad. For whom? Well, let's try people who are more progressive in their politics and religion, people who are less white, less Christian, and therefore less valid. People who aren't like the president and the supporters he named. Oh, it's just words, he says. It's just words. Well, it's cold comfort that the President of the United States doesn't have either the police or the military, certainly not the commanders. He has the bikers, but all it takes is one. One. One man in a mosque in Quebec, Christ Church, one man in a church in Pakistan, Charleston, Egypt. One man in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. Just one. One to light a fire. One man in a nightclub in Orlando. One man in a van in Willowdale to stain the ground with innocent blood. This is the world we live in. The world where we try to be faithful Christians, the world where we still count on praying the words of Psalm 27, one thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, for God will hide me in shelter in the day of trouble. God will conceal me under the cover of God's tent. But notice this isn't a prayer for the danger to disintegrate magically, like the villain in an action movie, like Voldemort, or like the melting wicked witch in Oz. This prayer admits that trouble and opposition and violence are all real in the world. So back to the questions. Should people of faith expect opposition, even violence against them? And should people of faith employ violence in service of what they believe is God's purpose? And the answer to the second question seems easy when we look around and see what people do 
when they believe they are protecting their God? The answer to the second question, we would quickly say, is no. People of faith must never employ violence in service of what they believe is God's purpose. We may still be able to argue that a war can be just, but a war can never serve God's loving purpose. Defending the practice of a religion is a side effect at best. And God never guarantees the eternal survival of any religion. If we read the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we see that God isn't really very interested in religion at all. But what about the first question? Should people of faith expect opposition, trouble, a price to pay for believing and living, even violence against them? Oh, how we want the answer to be no. And I don't mean we should throw our chips into the same pot as the many Christians in North America who see every person who is other in any way as a threat. Every change in society at large is an attack on Christianity, especially if the change occurs in December. We have states south of the border passing laws that protect the right of Christians to discriminate against others, including other Christians, anyone who doesn't believe or live as they do. It struck me last year in India where Christians and Muslims live every day with the distinct possibility of violence, persecution, because of their religion. And yet, how faithful, how courageous, how Psalm 27 they are, while in North America so many Christians cling to the illusion of persecution. It is still safe in our part of the world to be faithful Christians. It's not safe to live another faith openly. But do we live our faith openly? Back in my school days, campus Christian groups had slogans all over campus, sometimes asking questions. One of the questions was, if Christianity were declared evil tomorrow, would the authorities be able to find enough evidence to convict you? What evidence? Evidence of a life lived trying our hardest to live up to the vision and the values of the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' number one concern. The values and the vision that Jesus reveals to us. It's what we pray for every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. But that vision doesn't look much like the world today, does it? Those values don't line up with the driving forces of consumption and division and violence that we see at work all around us. People who don't always succeed but don't give up on following Jesus' example of unconditional love can count on misunderstanding, opposition. 
Living and sharing a life of grace, mercy, and peace draws attention, and not all of it positive. We have to rediscover that faithful living makes us different from others, and maybe our neighbors, whose faith makes them different from us, can help us. After churches were bombed in Egypt, Muslims stood guard in human chains around Christian places of worship. After worshipers were shot in Quebec, Christians and Jews surrounded mosques all over Canada in solidarity. After synagogues were vandalized in North York, Muslims and Christians gathered to protect people inside those synagogues. And in Peterborough, when a small mosque was damaged beyond use, the city's synagogue opened its doors to the worshipers. It happened in Pittsburgh, too. Christians and Muslims, and those who may profess no faith, gathering hands surrounding synagogues. Now, I can't ex accept the violent conquest of Canaan, and we don't know it really happened the way the book of Joshua says it did. The violence recounted in the Old Testament, violence human and divine, does not justify any violence today. The trust of the first people who sang 27, Psalm 27. And I was reminded this morning that our ancestors in faith, the Covenanters in Scotland, sang Psalm 27 as well when they were in danger. That trust, we have good reason to aspire to that. The determination of Jesus to complete his mission in and for the sake of the world, opposition be damned, that gives us an example to follow. You know, sometimes, excuse me, sometimes the risk of standing up and being noticed for who you are and what you believe as a Christian can pay off. The first time I marched in Toronto's Pride Parade with 70 other Presbyterians, my Presbyterian pride was affirmed as we came near to the end of the route. People were reaching out all along the way for high fives and fist bumps and even the occasional old-fashioned hand, uh, handshakes. As we got to the end, a transgender person reached out for a hug, tears in their eyes, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And while she was still hugging me, I looked up, or she or he was hugging me, I looked up and saw the protest signs, warning everyone there, including me, including the person who was embracing me, warning us all of hellfire for being who we are and believing as we do. Opposition didn't come as I half expected from the people around me. So many of them gave up on religion in general and the church in particular, and many of them had to leave their churches. They welcomed us and cheered for Presbyterian pride. The opposition came, muted though it was, it came from other Christians who, after all, were sure they were defending God.
Glory to God.